0: Thanks for tuning into the Message Podcast of Friends Church. My name is Alessandra. I'm one of the team members here, and we're so glad that you're joining us. It's been really encouraging to hear stories from people all over the country and the world who are listening in. We really hope that our messages are resonating with you. We also wanted to say thank you to those who are contributing to Friends Church. All of the things we're able to do, it's because of people who donate regularly. Even small, consistent gifts help a lot. If you haven't had the chance yet to give, I would encourage you to maybe think about doing that, especially if it's been beneficial in your own journey. To do that, it's really easy. Just go to our website, FrenchChurch.ca, and click on the Donate tab, or download our French Church app and click on the Give tab. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this week's message. I'm Kelty. Welcome to Friends Church. This is the part of our service that we call charitable giving. It is sort of twofold. It's an opportunity for me to remind you how you can give to Friends Church financially, and it's also an opportunity for me to thank those of you who do that. So as far as giving to Friends Church financially, we operate solely on the donations by our community. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to find our app, which you can find through the App Store or go to our website. There's a very obvious button there that says Donate, and there's a few options. One that we often talk about is pre-authorized giving, which allows you to set it up so that monthly you authorize a certain amount to be donated uh, to French Church. But there is another option, because that doesn't work for everyone, and that's a one-time gift. And so if pre-authorized giving is just not in the cards for you, that is absolutely no problem. If you still want to give to the church, there is a chance to do that through a one-time gift gift. Also, um, we know that not everybody is keen on the technology necessarily, um, and so we also have here, if you're live and in person, there's a black box at the back of the room that you can slide your check into. If none of that works for you, please reach out to Vince or Jeff and we'll figure out a way to make that happen. The other part really is to say thank you so much to this, or, this group of people who does financially donate and help support the church in that way. Um, It allows us to do everything from bring this right into your home to bringing the music before you to all of the work that we do out in the community. And so thank you very much for that. Over the next couple of weeks, the church is starting to look at how we bring back in some of our children's programming. Um, The kids' programming, which is under grade 6, that's starting to be thought about, and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But Carmen's here this morning to talk a little bit about our teen program and what's on deck for Switch. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Kelty. Good morning. It has been a while since I have been up here. It's a gorgeous day outside. So if you're here, thank you for being here. If you're watching online, um, my name is Carmen. Like Kelty said, I've been running our Switch, which is our youth mentorship program for the past 17 years. And this last year and a half have, they've been challenging, Um, just like life for everyone. But Trying to plan and constantly having plans change, and and then canceled, and then moving to Zoom, and having kids who have to be on school for Zoom and just get Zoomed out. Anyone tired of just, like, they don't want to do one more Zoom call? Yeah, I, I, I know that's me. And um, so we have never lost our desire to see teens thrive. That That is, for us, that is number one. Um. But it's been, a, it's been a tough go, uh, just even getting in front of kids, and, and kind of every time we want to connect, we're kind of so no, you can't do it that way. Oh, you, you can't do it that way. And, and so we're continually racking our brain, trying to find ways. And this last, I don't know, maybe it was this last week, but something, I just started to feel hopeful for this fall, that things, there's a potential shift happening, or we'll be able to be with kids again. Um... We have teens that have been a part of Switch for for years that we haven't seen in the last year. We have families who have kids that graduated from grade 5 to grade 6 last September, and we had no way to integrate them into what we were doing. We have families who have grade 5s who are moving into grade 6 this coming September, uh, and so this is for you guys as well because we want to get your kids plugged in, and then new families who have started attending that I may not have even met yet. So Switch is a community of grade 6 to 12 students. Um, our whole purpose is to help teens thrive and make a difference in their world. That is that is everything, it captures everything we do. Uh, and it starts with looking at a lot of the different areas of just life skills that we think get overlooked. Everything from changing a tire to a self-care day like we did last week with a visualization and meditations and gratitudes and just things that are practical. We tackle basically any conversation that is awkward, that we think, you know what, families could use help with this one just because it's just not fun to talk about. We think it's fun. So we, we go there, uh, everything from relationships to consent, habits, mental health, sexuality, creativity. And then we provide opportunities for teens to discover maybe what some of their passions are. That might be serving a meal to someone who's experiencing homelessness, It could be doing a park cleanup or going to a senior's home and just hosting games and putting a smile on someone's face. And hopefully this March, it's going to include going back to Mexico and building a home for a family. The beautiful thing about Switch is you can come in, you can be yourself, you can be accepted. It's a safe place where you can learn, where you can explore, where you can doubt, and have a ton of fun doing it. So we meet every second Sunday, um, we're very intentional about that. We, we ask a lot of our volunteers. Uh, we go from like 10.30 in the morning till 2.30. So we do an interactive uh, experiential learning style service where we're not just sitting up there talking heads. We believe that if we can show it, like show, don't tell. Uh, then we have lunch, and then we go and do some sort of activity. So that might be one of our service components, or it might just be doing something fun that builds community for us. Uh, so if you have a teen. If you are a teen and you would like to get involved, we would love to have you as a part of Switch this coming fall. Uh, Actually, this summer. Hopefully, as things relax, we're going to get different connection events over the summer. We have one service left. We don't run services over uh, the summer. We give our volunteers a break and just a chance to kind of have some downtime for them, and they come back in September and are raring to go. Uh, After the long weekend in September, we kick off. We'll have our service and we raft the bow. Typically, that's that day. And then two weeks later, we have our fall retreat, which is by far like one of the most epic events. Uh, We are unsure if that's a one day event or if that's going to be a full weekend. That will depend on, again, restrictions. But we did a one day last year, started at something like six in the morning and went till midnight. And it involves like horseback riding and archery and climbing walls and you name it. We pack a lot in as well as kind of our theme for the year. And uh, I think this coming one is going to be finding your purpose. So we always build enjoyable things in. We have a blast doing it together. And so if you'd like to know more, if you're young at heart and want to be part of our mentorship team reach out to me and we will get you involved. The summer is a great time for the young kids to get involved because the groups are a little smaller. They can get their foot in and get to know a few people before being introduced to the general population. And uh, yeah, we would love to get you, your kids involved and uh, we're excited. Vince.
2: How's that first start of a message, huh? Crazy, thanks you guys, beautiful. I'm gonna steal your music stand. Welcome to Friends Church, everybody. Today, I want to start this thing a little bit different. Today, it's going to be a mystery. Not really a murder mystery to start, but it's kind of a whodunit or maybe closer, why did they do it? So as I tell you this first story about Joseph, I want you to ask yourself, why did they do it? Because the Joseph character is this, you know, larger-than-life Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he's got a musical named after him, how cool would that be? Jerry in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, wouldn't that be a killer thing to have as a legacy? I love it. So he goes along, the story goes, he figures out a famine's coming, he figures out a way to solve it, and he saves two nations. So his legacy is, he saved two nations from starving to death. That's pretty solid. But before that, to get to that, we've got to rewind all the way to his childhood. Joseph, his dad, his name's Israel or Jacob, changes his name, is married to two women. So for all of you biblical literates out there, it's polyamorous, nice, I like it. So (laughs) this is kind of weird. Jacob's married to a woman he doesn't really like and a woman he really likes and so the kids from the woman he doesn't really like he's got 10 of them and the kids from the woman he really likes there's kind of this feud going you can see that right you like my mom better than you like you know your mom that kind of business and so one of these days joseph the little kid from the favorite mom gets this instructions i want you to go and give your brothers a message and so joseph you know puts on his sandals because they didn't have a car those days And starts walking goes to the wrong place first meets this guy who sends him the right place that was the message two weeks ago but then he finds his brothers and here's the story and how it goes and this is where i want you to think deeply because the brothers are sitting there i don't know what they're doing tending flocks does anybody actually know what tending flocks means do you just stand around with one of those like crook thingies that i don't know anyways they're tending sheep and they see Joseph coming. And this is their first thought. Let's kill him. I have an older brother. Sometimes he drives me a little nuts. Sometimes I think about, you know, giving, doing harm to my brother, but literally planning his death? What would possess someone to literally plan the death of their brother? And as Joseph is walking to them, the 10 brothers are sitting around going, okay, well, how about this? There's a pit over there. Let's throw him to the bottom. He'll die. We'll throw a bunch of earth over him. No one will ever find the body. This is literally the conversation they're having. How do we kill our brother and get away with it? So here's my question for you today. Here's the mystery. What motivates somebody to actually want to kill another human being? Is jealousy enough? You know, dad likes you better than dad likes me. Is that enough to actually plot death? The story has always sat wrong with me because I was thinking, why are the brothers such jerks? That's not even strong enough. I was going to swear, but I thought, well, this is going onto YouTube, so I probably shouldn't swear. But anyways, why is he such, like these guys are horrible people. And all just for jealousy? Come on! I was listening to a podcast a couple, no, probably a year ago now. Bible for Normal People. They were interviewing a scholar named Austin Hartke. Now Austin's a scholar in Hebrew, so with the Old Testament, where the Joseph story is, is written in Hebrew. I my Hebrew is about like this. His is solid. And he said, oh, actually, you know what? That whole line, Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. some translations say the coat of many colors. Some of them that want to get a little bit boring, they call it coat with sleeves. Like, duh, of course it's got sleeves. But he said, actually, there's one other time where that phrase is used. You see, what you guys probably don't understand is the Bible didn't come with a dictionary, so you can look up all the words. Scholars have to try and figure out certain phrases. They're going, wow, we have no clue what that is. So they go back and they look at other examples, and then they figure out the meaning from context. So that phrase that we translate, the code of many colors, shows up one other place. There's a story about Tamar, the virgin king, or the virgin daughter of the king. And it says that virgin daughters of kings wear coats of many colors. Maybe a better translation would be this. If I use kind of modern idiom. Virgin daughters of the king wear lacy dresses. Let's fast forward and go back to the Joseph story. One day, Joseph's dad brings him a coat of many colors or a lacy dress. And Joseph wears his lacy dress with pride, showing off to everyone around him. And in fact, he even wears it when he's traveling. And so when he goes to see his brothers, he puts on his lacy dress. Culturally, what virgin daughters of the king wear. Now put yourself back in that moment. The brothers are standing there holding their little hooked thing, watching their sheep, and they see their brother coming from afar. But he doesn't look like them, does he? He doesn't look anything like them. He's different. He's different on many levels. He's different culturally. Guys like us don't wear lacy dresses. When they see their brother coming, see him wearing a lacy dress, the different takes over. Their fear of the difference takes over. And we see in that story, again, this is one reading. We see in that story a potential motive for why the brothers act so horrifically. Not out of jealousy, but out of seeing somebody who's different. And somebody who's different calls into question everything they are and everything their family is. When I heard Austin tell me that story and tell me that little tidbit, suddenly the story of Joseph I went, Oh, geez. Haven't we seen this before? Now, I'm hoping we all haven't reacted quite as poorly as the brothers, where difference causes us to plot death. Although, I've been to many a service where people read the names of people who were different and were killed for the difference. It's horrifying. And on Pride Month, I wanted to share this story. I've been trying to share this story for months now. And every time my coach is like, Vince, it's a rabbit trail. And I'm like, yes, but it's such an important rabbit trail. But here's what I wanna ask you. How do you deal with difference? I'll tell you how I do it. If I'm in a grocery store, And there's a person who doesn't seem to have a schedule at all. Like they have no place to be, nothing to do. They're sitting in the middle of the aisle reading can labels. Oh, my sweet mother of everything holy. I can handle difference, but not that difference. That drives me like I'm a... (laughs) <laughs> I said to my partner the other day, I said, man, I always said I didn't want kids, but if I ever did have kids, here's the difference I couldn't handle. I could have handled if they looked different, if they wanted to be different, I didn't care what gender they identify with, sexual orientation, I'd be like high-fiving five them. But if they were biblical literists, oh my goodness, folks. I spent my whole life studying the Bible. I am not a biblical literalist. That kind of a difference... So let me ask you, what difference do you find difficult? Is it dealing with people who are straight up? For me, it's people who beat around the bush. I can tell there's something wrong. They talk to me. At the end of the conversation, they're like, okay, I feel better. And I'm going, I don't even know what we talked about. And I certainly don't know why you're upset with me. Because you've said it so kindly and so gently i can't figure it out for me it's like tell it to me straight that difference i don't do well let's use the pride one sexual orientation gender identity any of those things cause you to go i don't deal with that difference very well think about your partner or your kids what part of them drives you nuts okay so let's let me add one more story to this can i The whole story of christianity one of the core stories is jesus getting arrested and dying on a cross that's why we put crosses on top of churches it's a way to kill somebody but if you rewind before he gets killed he gets arrested he's in a garden they figure out who he is the 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 military comes grabs jesus and takes them to their barracks all his, his disciples and his friends are freaking out. One guy <laughs> runs away. A, a guard grabs his, his his robe and he takes the robe off and runs away, buck naked. He's so scared. They're so scared of these military that one of the guys literally runs away naked to get away from them. But what do you do when your best friend is arrested and you don't know what's going to happen to him? It's not like you can go on Twitter. This is two thousand years ago. So Peter, Peter, who Jesus said, your name started off, his first name was Simon. It's another piece of the transgender nuance in the story. The transgender community often uses the name change to signify, this is my new reality, this is who I am. And through the biblical account, there's regular name changes. The guy starts off, his name Simon. Jesus says, no, 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 you're not Simon anymore. You're Peter, which is the word Petros, which means rock. You are the foundation of this group. Anyone with Catholic background, you know the church was founded on St. Peter, Petros. And Peter's there in the garden when Jesus is arrested, and everyone's freaking out, and he kind of just like pulls up his pants, and he's like, I've got to figure out what's going to happen to my buddy And so he does the unthinkable. He walks towards the military garrison where there's soldiers everywhere, where you go to arrest people. It's the most scary place for them. What are they thinking? They arrested Jesus. We're next. Let's get away. Let's run. Instead, Peter walks right towards there and he stands just outside the wall to try and hear what happened to my friend. Peter, the rock, the foundation. And as he's standing there listening for his friend, he hears in the background, hey, hey, buddy. He's kind of like, me? Yeah, yeah, buddy. Don't you know that Jesus guy? Feel it for a second. You're in the place you're most scared of. You're scared you're going to be arrested. Just like your friend. You're standing right outside their fortress. You're standing right there in the most dangerous place you can be. And someone says, hey, aren't you connected to the guy we just arrested? And Peter, the rock, the foundation that everything's gonna be built on says, hell no, I have no clue who that person is. Think of the amount of stress that guy's under. I miss a little bit of sleep. That kind of stress causes me to react to difference poorly. Think about that for a second you. Go back to the difference that you find difficult to deal with. Now, put yourself under stress. Deadline, lack of sleep, financial pressure, relationship problems, kids driving you nuts. Fill in whatever blank. Does that make your ability to deal with difference better or worse? I'm an ass. Under stress? Difference? Oh. You put me behind that person in line who's reading the labels and I'm late for a meeting? The whole store knows that I'm annoyed with this person. You see, stress doesn't make this any better, does it? That's the Peter story. He's under the height of stress and that causes him to act completely against everything he believes in. So let me ask you, how does stress impact you? Do you do better with difference or worse? The people in your life who like things a little bit different than you, when you're under stress, do you handle that better or worse? The brothers from Joseph's story, been moving around, disconnected from family, there's stress there. And they handle difference abysmally, violently. It's almost like there's a bear inside of us. Do you know that feeling? I feel like kind of sometimes there's this bear inside of me and stress just takes this pointy stick and pokes it all the time. Until that bear is so cranky and so ready to snap, it will tear anyone's head off. Like a 75-year-old grandma is like, Hi, Vance, and I'm like, ah! Anyone feel that when stress starts to grow inside of you? Don't elbow your partner right now if you're sitting with someone. <laughs> stress changes how our brains work. It creates an angry bear inside of us if you're not sure how it works, let me use a bit of a finer-tooth comb because right now, we are coming through 14 months of unbelievable stress. 14 months of something we never thought we'd ever experience. I thought 9-11 was going to be the big event of my generation <laughs> compared to this. The amount of stress we're under both socially financially, physically. And the amount of difference out there, think about the span of how people have reacted to this pandemic, who are continuing to react to this pandemic. Different views, different beliefs. Some people saying, I will get vaccinated. The next person say, I will not get vaccinated. Some person saying, I wear a mask. The next person says, I will not wear a mask. third person says, I will wear three masks. Think of all the differences we're dealing with and the amount of stress we're under. If you're not sure how your angry bear works because mine gets really loud, let me show you what happens to your brain on stress. This is from Jeffrey Schwartz's book, You're Not Your Brain. Fantastic read. Absolutely worth it. One of the founders of this kind of research. He says this, when your brain's under stress, it will conserve energy and start thinking about everything black and white. Have you heard that? Vaccines are bad. Vaccines are good. No nuancing, no nothing, just black or white. You're wrong, I'm right. You're bad, I'm good. Black and white thinking. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go onto YouTube, search crazy reactions to the pandemic, and watch a bunch of videos of people with black and white thinking screaming at each other. As soon as I feel my brain going into black and white thinking, what I realize is my brain is trying to conserve energy because gray takes too much energy. The nuancing of that. My partner does something, that's wrong. Ah, feels so good. She's wrong, I'm right. But what is my part in that? Ooh. Under stress, my brain doesn't want to go there. Can you feel black and white thinking inside? Next one, catastrophizing. This is the idea that your brain will go to whatever is the worst-case scenario, and if you can't come up with a worst-case scenario, your brain will make it up. Anyone heard, we're all going to die from variants? Don't worry. Once the variants are done, your brain will come up with something else to catastrophize about. Global warming, you know, antibiotic resistance. Your brain will come up with some catastrophe because that's what it's trying to do. It's almost like the catastrophe makes us feel better. What a crazy thing. Next one, discounting the positives. (laughs) Anyone really negative right now? Mining the depths of the negative? Anyone in your life mining the depths of the negative? Those differences, huh? It's your brain going into conservation mode under stress. I will just focus on what's negative and I don't have to figure out the balance of the positive to the negative and where I need to sit. No, everything's negative. It's all going to shit. We're fine. Simple. Brain under stress. Emotional reasoning. I feel like crap, therefore there's crap happening. I'm angry because something's happening in my life. I'm under stress, so I'm going to blast you. The reality is you think you're actually logic- you know, I'm yelling at you because you did something wrong. But the reality is, your brain's just doing emotional reasoning. I feel bad, so I need to express that somehow. And so I'm going to look at the world and say, there's something bad out there, because that's simple. That justifies how I'm feeling. Mind reading. Oh, I know what they're thinking. They totally meant this when they said that, right? Do you know what they're thinking? Of course not. But our brain finds it easier when we can have certainty. I know what they said, and I know what they meant. Ha. It's brain on stress. Should statements. I should have done this. They should have done that. Comparisons. My life is crap in comparison to them. (laughs) I do this one. I always tell my my wife, I'm not very fit. She's like, you're an idiot. Of course you're fit. I'm like, yeah, but there's like... 0.1% of the population, the Olympians, they make me look like I'm an old man and completely out of shape. She's like, yeah, nice choice there, buddy. Of all the people you could have picked in this world, you picked them. But it's so much easier to be like, compared to those people, I have it bad. It's a thinking error. It's what our brain does under stress to conserve. False expectations. If they loved me, they would do this. If they cared about our society, they would act this way. Can you see these thinking errors happening across our society right now? Can you feel these thinking errors inside of you? Inside of me? Here's the deal. Under stress, our brains go to these kinds of thinking. Black and white, shoulds, you name it. How do you think that helps when we deal with the difference all around us? It's brutal, isn't it? It's the angry bear all over us. So how do we deal with difference then? I've told you a story about Joseph, a story that my interpretation again says, a man dressed as a woman shows up to his brothers. And they react so poorly to that difference that they try and kill him. I told you a story about Peter who goes to the most stressful place he could possibly imagine. And then when he's confronted about something he believes deeply, he denies it to show that stress changes our brains. The last story I want to tell you is just a short one. It's about a guy named Isaiah. He wrote... The way they wrote in those times, he wrote as a prophet, which means he kind of embodies what he thinks the spiritual journey should look like. He says this They've just been captured. A bunch of their population went to a different country, had different uh, customs. And here's the weird thing that you probably don't know many of the young boys who went into this other country were castrated. They were made eunuchs. In some ways, when we understand male and female as the gender binary, they are taken outside of that. The reason they did it was because the eunuchs dealt with the king's harem. Back in those days, you didn't have paternity testing. So how do you keep someone to protect this group of women and know that he didn't impregnate any of the women? You castrate them. Kind of brutal, but it makes sense for them. So now they have all these eunuchs coming back into their society, a society that's built on black and white, male, female, female, male. And for the first time, they're dealing with somebody outside of that. Somebody different. Somebody who sits outside the gender binary. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. They're not even here yet. But I want you to practice how you're going to respond to those people. Because the reality is, under stress, our brain's not going to go into kind of nuanced thinking, loving thinking. No, it's going to go to those thinking errors, right? Black and white. Male, what are you? You're not male, okay, you're gone. Isaiah says, no, 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 we're going to behave differently. Before they're even here, before we feel the difference, we're going to practice how to respond. He says, when the eunuchs come back, we will accept them lovingly as full members of our community. Repeat with me, accept them is fully part of our community. He said, say that over and over again. So when they come back to our house, we respond beautifully. You see your brain under stress, chances are, no, angry bear, it's gonna do something stupid. One of the things we have for the, the, Carmen has for the teen's parents, all you have, who have kids, I don't care if you're straight, gay, cisgendered, transgendered. I don't care. Chances are, your kid will come out as something different than you, whatever permutation that is. And it's this incredible moment of parents of reconnection and openness to difference. And the number of parents who duff that moment, who are dealing with that in therapy bills forever after... Because they don't know how to deal with the difference. It's stressful. Their kids get up. To, they're like, "Whoa, ah, I'm thinking of your future and all the things and blah 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 and my shit and your shit." And here's what we say: Remember one line. Not, I still love you. The still kills it. Here's your line. I love you, and I'm so proud of you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Try it in your head and say it. I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Now think about all the different people in your life. What if you practice that line? I love you, the person who cut me off in traffic. I love you, the person who sees this pandemic differently. I love you, the person who sees vaccinations differently. I love you. My wife's favorite thing to do on her day off is to schedule nothing. I have my day timer full, like to the 45 or to 15 minute chunks. I love you, Vince, even though your schedule is stupid on your day off. (laughs) Think of the difference in your life, the person who does things differently, who acts differently. What if you practiced that in your head and said, I love you no matter what crazy thing you do. I started off by telling you a story of difference. How difference is challenging to us. It is. We can't make that go away. It just is. Our brains like things that are same. Difference takes more energy. I told you the story about Peter, where stress just causes us to react to difference even more poorly. Causes our brains to go into these kind of modes of thinking, black and white, mind reading, all this stuff that causes all kinds of hurt in this world. And the final story I told you was the story of Isaiah that says, for those third people who fit outside the black and white gender. I love you. At Friend Church, we exist to inspire you and inspire me to make the world around you a little bit better. Partners, kids, friends, family, I don't care, whoever it is, people you'll never meet. I was talking to one of my running partners, we talked about legacy what our lives will mean in this world. And we try to inspire each and every one of us to leave a beautiful, loving legacy. And in this time after 14 years, of or 14 months, <laughs> 14 years, talk about a Freudian slip, huh? <laughs> it feels like a lifetime, 14 months of stress, on top of work stress and relationship stress, chances are, we need to rehearse how we're gonna handle the differences in our lives. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I wanna leave a legacy of love, not a legacy of pain. So as you leave here today, think of that difference that drives you nuts. Think of that person. Think of how that angry bear inside you reacts to that difference. And as you're walking out here, rehearse your answer. I love you, slow person in the shopping center. I love you, biblical literalist. Can you do that? Feel the love that goes out from you when you feel that. That's my encouragement for us today. We can make this world a better place if we're willing to rehearse a loving answer. Have a great week, everybody. Go and enjoy the sunshine. Have a great week. Uh, Send me an email, vince at FriendChurch.ca. Love to hear from you and we'll see you next week. Thanks everybody.